0: I'm sure you are, as I am, interested in what makes people buy from us as service providers. There's lots in behavioral science, particularly in buying psychology, the psychology of people buying or making buying decisions. What makes someone decide to trust you or me as consultants, as coaches, as facilitators, and maybe ultimately refer us to people once we've done good work for them. My guest today is Melina Palmer. Melina is the author of a book, What Your Customer Wants But Can't Tell You. And I think this is highly relevant to independent or small business owners because one thing that we have to really do well, apart from training and facilitating and consulting, is to be really clear about whom we help and how we help them. This means helping improve communications with our customers. And this is exactly what Melina's work is centered on. Melina has a podcast. You can find her LinkedIn profile and all of the links in today's episode over at trainingbusiness.com. But what quite interestingly, and some guests have said this to me before, they've had something online. It could be a video, it could be a podcast, and a third level institution, a college, a university gets in touch. And this is exactly what happened To Melina A&M or Texas A&M University got in touch with Melina and together they created a program called the Applied Behavioral Economics Certificate. And that's the start of the journey and we'll dig in today into Melina's journey. How did she go from writing a book to generating content and products around that? How does she sell those and to whom? She does lots of speaking and training and has her own course on a platform called Mighty Networks. Now, I'd not heard of Mighty Networks before. I'm not vouching for it, but I'm interested in what it does because allegedly it's a platform for building your own community, uh, developing worksheets, workbooks, and all of that in one place and selling your products to your customers. Loads in this week's episode. This is the Training Business Podcast.
1: And welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes.
0: Hey, welcome to the Training Business podcast. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like you and me. And the focus of this show, every episode of the show, is the business of you making money from your knowledge, from your experience in the form of programs, courses, books, keynotes, workshops, and so on. And if you've not yet done that, you're in the right place. If you have done it before, you're in the right place. Maybe you have your own expert business and you've got your clients and your email list, etc. or maybe you haven't any of those things. But this is the show for you because every single week we bring guests who've been there, done that, and want to share their journey and their tips, platforms, tools, etc. with people like you and me. I'm Mark. I'm a self-employed trainer. I'm a coach. I'm a published author. I couldn't say that last year. I published a book this year and it's made a lot of difference to my business. I've been, as I say, often unemployed, employed, and self-employed. I like being self-employed, and this is really why I do what I do on the show. And every Thursday, there is an episode of the show to help you wherever you are on this wonderful journey. I'd love you to come back again, of course. So please click on the follow button or the subscribe button right now to be notified of great episodes that will help your business. It costs nothing to subscribe and takes a couple of seconds. It really helps validate what uh, the team and I do. Melina, hi, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
0: So, uh, a couple of things to announce. First of all, I came across your profile and I was intrigued by the strap line on LinkedIn. I often think of what actually makes for a really compelling strap line on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is real estate. And yours says, I'd quote someone who's reviewed your book, which is called What Your Customer Wants and Can Tell You. And the review left by someone is the most important business book to come out in years. I'm intrigued. How did you get from where you were to where you are today as an author, consultant, keynote speaker, and columnist for Inc Magazine?
1: Yeah, well, uh that accolade I guess came, you know, later with the with the book and whatnot, but in the where I was uh is back I'll even take the step back to say when I was doing my undergrad in uh, school, I, I was studying business administration, the focus in marketing. And there was a little bit in one book, had one little section in one class that was talking about buying psychology and why people do the things they do, buy the things they buy. And I thought it was just the most fascinating thing I had ever heard about and decided I wanted to go back and get you know, a master's in that at some point. I spent the better part of 10 years calling universities who said it wasn't a thing and I couldn't study what I was looking to study. It didn't exist. So I was working in industry. I was running a... a, I worked at an advertising agency. I had started a company previously, was running a marketing department for a financial institution in the Seattle area, and uh, was part of Like a fellowship, essentially, for people in credit unions. And um, they brought in some people from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University, uh, which (laughs) is their uh, behavioral economics wing. So I found out that the thing I'd been looking for for 10 years is called behavioral economics and got myself a master's in it. And realized that I really was really early on the applied side of stuff and everything that was so obvious to me about how brain science applied to communication, marketing, brand strategy, pricing and organizations, just nobody was talking about anywhere. So I ended up starting my podcast and it was the first of its kind in the world. So got downloads in over 170 countries oh, wow. um, and just... People reaching out and looking for more information. Uh, Texas A&M University had found me through the podcast, and we ended up doing some work together. I teach there now. Uh, We created a certificate program together. um, And then someone who was a guest on my podcast introduced me to a publisher and just on and on, I guess.
0: (laughs) It sounds intriguing. When we think of that in hindsight, it sounds like a straight line, but it's not. It, it's sometimes right. serendipity, serendipity. it's uh, uh, luck, it's a lot of hard work. So today, your brand is The Brainy Business, um, and you're an expert in behavioral economics, how people buy. I think this is intriguing, particularly from the perspective of listeners. We have a product, we have a service. How do we understand our customers? How do we understand what motivates them? What are the actionable tips? I'm not asking for those right now, but this is intriguing. Yeah. I think this is why the book is valuable. Um, so as someone running their own business and you, you work for yourself, like our listeners, um, what did you find this research, this area helped you to come uh, to, to achieve? In other words, if I can rephrase that question, if, if you think of what you've discovered for in this area, what did you learn about how to apply this to what your customers come to you for?
1: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is a bit about how our brains really work. And even though we all have brains, we don't intuitively understand them and what they're doing. So one of my favorite analogies is from a psychologist at NYU. And he talks about thinking about your brain like a person riding an elephant. And so you have your logical conscious rider, knows where it wants to go, has a plan, is ready and focused. Uh, But if the elephant is not Motivated if it wants to sit down or run in another direction, uh, you're kind of stuck. You can't pull or push or logic it because it doesn't speak the same language. And uh, you have to motivate the elephant and be essentially like an elephant whisperer in this way. And so our brains are the same. That the vast majority of what we do is on this subconscious level. It's that elephant. And when we sit down in our businesses and we think we're wanting to create programs or we're setting up pricing, we talk a lot about the things that people should do or get or understand. And we think, you know, our writers talking to their writer, but really you need to be focusing on and understanding the elephant. And that's what the concepts of behavioral economics do. They show us the rules that that subconscious brain uses to make decisions.
0: So if someone listening to this is thinking, I like that title of that book, what your customer wants and can tell you, how would someone who's a consultant, a trainer, someone self-employed, figure out what their customer wants, but doesn't tell us?
1: Uh, you can read my book, I guess, and listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, understanding um, and, and digging in to learn more about behavioral science. And it, it's an interesting thing, too, where we people, even when we think we want something, uh, we are often wrong and we're really bad at predicting what we're going to like, what's going to make us happy. And in hindsight, we have a hard time understanding why we did something. And so uh, really it is through researching and understanding how the brain works and and makes decisions. There, There is some opportunity with testing. Uh, observational research is really valuable there. Uh, but my Books have concrete tips of things to do. That's probably going to shortcut it
0: <laughs> for a lot okay. of people. Okay, have you for someone listening? Has, have you any concrete tip that would really be imp- easy to implement and apply? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite concepts is one called framing, which is how you say something matters more than what it is that you're saying. And in that way, you think you know you're going to the grocery store to buy some ground beef. There are two stacks, almost identical. One is labeled as 90% fat-free. The other is 10% fat. Which one do you want to buy? Most everyone says 90% fat-free is the one that they want. Even though we logically know they're the same, it feels very different to us. So again, how you say something matters more than what you say. In the case of uh, using this, uh, word choice is important, uh, but also... If you want someone to be more likely to respond to you, uh, to say an email, we have a tendency to end things in sentences. You know, so we say, "Hey, if you have questions, let me know. I'm here. If let me know if these dates work for you. Send some dates over. We'll go from there." And people aren't really compelled to answer questions, where or to answer to a statement, whereas when we have a question, that. Hanging out there is something that makes us much more likely to feel like we need to respond. So if you say, you know, you send some dates, do any of these work for you? Uh, Does that answer all the questions you may have? Uh, You're much more likely to get a response if you end in a question than in a statement. So that's a simple way that you can reframe something to increase the likelihood that people will respond to you.
0: So if you're using some kind of uh, email campaign, you want someone, a potential client to respond favorably don't give them a statement, ask them a question because that is more cognitively engaging. Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. In general, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So let's think then about the the kinds of work you do. So you have your own business, you work for yourself, right? You're the only person in the brainy business.
1: In general, yes. Yeah. General, Sometimes yes. I have support of uh, yeah. people doing things, but it's pretty much me. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Okay. What was that like making that transition from being an employee to now saying, I've got my my expertise, I've written a book on the subject, I now have to go out and actually earn a crust um, and generate business for myself.
1: Yeah. In my case, um, I have been working for myself before I wrote the book. So, um, and actually was working for myself before I even started the podcast. I had an interesting circumstance that my husband and I had an opportunity to um, Move in a way that was going to be um, financially positive so that I was able to uh, quit my full time job and be able to really focus on my schooling when I was doing my master's and was taking on. I had already been doing freelance consulting while I was running the marketing department at the financial institution. So I was able to take on a limited number of consulting projects to make it so that. You know, we made up the difference in income. And I was very fortunate in that the difference was like $250 a month. I mean, nothing that I had to make in consulting uh, because we were moving to a less expensive area. And so um, in that process, I was really able to focus on school and the learning, which then I was already doing some consulting and speaking and things like that, which then rolled into the podcast and being able to dedicate a ton of time. You know, from having a podcast, uh, that they are a lot more work than people think that they are. And my podcast for the first eighty episodes, they were all solo episodes of me explaining uh, what a concept is. So, you know, framing has a full one-hour episode with me talking about it. So does it loss aversion and anchoring and adjustment and lots of things. And so um, spending a a lot of time dedicated on content and really focusing on that, which then made it easier to write a book and to Mm -hmm. um, continue doing speaking engagements and consulting and things like that.
0: So let's go to uh, the pointy end of things. Someone has a problem, a, a business, a corporation, an organization. What do they come to you for? What programs, products do you deliver to them?
1: So for... What I do is helping people to better communicate with others, whether that's on their teams uh, and looking at change management or something, or to customers and being able to make it so the messaging that they're putting out is more appealing. And so I've worked with all sorts of companies, uh, from small businesses that you know are solopreneurs to global, uh, you know, top, you know, Fortune ten <laughs> companies in everything from. Candy bars to tech and and anything else, and so really, when you have something that the communication matters, the likelihood that someone's going to pick something up um, and being able to more effectively communicate with the brain and streamline things—that's uh, where people work with me. Uh, one example that uses framing is from a, a financial institution I was doing consulting for pretty early on, and a lot of business. All businesses have jargon in banking. Rates is something that people like to talk about a lot. Uh, This particular financial institution had a new rewards checking account and they were planning to have all their billboards and everything say that you can earn up to 1.26% APY for up to $25,000 in balances. That was like the headline. (laughs) Not particularly compelling, even if you understand the math. Uh, So I got them to reframe that to say, did your checking account pay you $315 last year? can very quickly say, no, it didn't. And hey, who's talking about that, right? An interesting question that got people motivated to take an action uh, that financial institution didn't spend anymore um, and they didn't do any additional buy, but they enjoyed a 60% lift in month over month checking account openings. Right, so, so
0: if, we, yeah. if we think of how this applies then to people who listening would be, I suppose, using metaphors or examples in the world of learning and development slash consulting, um, that language pattern that communicates something to someone's mind, which makes them then see your business, your offering, your consultancy, your training in a favorable light.
1: Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, Robert Cialdini, one of my heroes, says Palmer charts the clearest course I've seen ever seen for managers seeking to navigate change. It's a tour de force. That's high praise indeed. Um, when you take your programs, your consulting, how did you convert the, the knowledge that you have into those Programs and workshops that carry a price. So let's just say I want to buy something from you. How do you sell it to me? How do you package it, and how do you deliver it to me?
1: So for me, and yes, having uh, Robert Cialdini write an endorsement of any kind for a book of mine is like the greatest thing that ever happened in my whole life. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I get that, um, and he said very, very kind things about that new book. So uh, when it comes to Anything that you're looking to present to people, you always want to be spending more time thinking about the problem. So, a lot of what I do in my consulting, getting back to the previous question, is helping people to make sure they're working on the right thing. It's really easy to come up with the right answer to the wrong question, and you waste a lot of time and effort creating solutions for problems that don't really exist, especially when you're trying to make something for someone else's rider when you need the elephant to be motivated, right? So, I uh, look for what the real problem is, under and then look to see where people are now. Who who am I talking to? Where am I looking to motivate them to go? Uh, what are they most interested in? What's keeping them from the behavior? You know, what's keeping them from where we're trying to get to? And how can I fill in those gaps? You know, what's the easiest thing for them? What do they think they want? And how do I communicate to that as well as what's actually going to get them to move forward with something? So in some cases. It's a, a, an online course, let's say something that's okay. So, you have say. online
0: courses, just so we're clear on I do. that. Okay, I do. what, what yeah. platform are they on? Uh,
1: they're currently on Mighty Networks. Uh, I set them okay. up in member vaults originally and then moved things over to Mighty Networks. And what is uh, Mighty
0: Networks? I have to ask you. you have never heard of that before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a, It's a really cool platform, actually, that allows you to be, it's kind of like my own facebook um and so i have a group it's called the be thoughtful revolution and people from all over the world can come in they can post comments and chat and follow each other and set up little kind of communities amongst themselves and we have polls and can do live videos and i keep my uh freebie worksheets and courses and and things within it so and you can also get your own app and stuff at various times when you get big enough and and whatever so it's yeah it's really cool
0: (laughs) So, this is something that you'd give access to. You give your clients access to this, and they'd have access to, let's say, collateral that goes with the course.
1: Yes. So, I can okay. uh, have multiple groups. I have a free community that anybody can okay. join. And I have, you know, my first book, I created a, I can't help myself from creating lots of freebies. I love the reciprocity principle. And so, uh, my first book has a free 111 page workbook that goes along with it that anybody can just go get. Yeah. And I spent a lot of money and time creating that, but I think it helps people to be able to actually apply things, which is important to me. Um, And so being able to have that, anybody can just go download it and you join the community and get to find other people that care about behavioral economics. I could also have within that, say a client, Um, if I was doing consulting uh, and a Corporate training, say, and we're going to do a one-year program with quarterly trainings for this corporation that wants to be learning more about either change management or applying behavioral economics into their communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can have a private group where they chat only with each other. I can have special worksheets and things for them, uh, videos and things that are only shareable there. Um, when I do book launches, uh, I have like a book launch team that's a again a special spot. Um, that people are able to get content that's separate from the, the full community so it can all be managed in that single space and you can either charge through the app for people that join that way or you know for that like that corporate client I might have an invoice for the full project and they have a special link for them to join
0: That's amazing Is that anything like circle.so? Uh, where you have you know literally a community online of fans of your net of your of your expertise but
1: potentially i haven't used yeah. that before so i okay. don't know uh for sure Interesting.
0: but yeah do you work off the basis of retainers or do you prefer once-offs
1: i prefer retainer projects and <laughs> uh, because i do a lot of speaking and trainings there are um, often uh one-offs but uh, ideally, some of those, you know, turn into ongoing types of, of work. So I have a real mix and I, I've diversified my work portfolio <laughs> to have a whole a mix of things.
0: Are there kinds of clients that you would say no to? Uh, or would, are there kinds of clients you would say absolutely yes to? In other uh, words, yeah. do you find yourself saying no to particular industries or particular kinds of organizations?
1: Yeah. So um, it's more that... so. Anything that's not, so I look to be helping great brands do great things by leveraging the power of behavioral economics. Uh, Things that are products or something that I don't philosophically agree with, you know, would be we be a no. Uh, You know, something that's trying. If someone was to reach out and say, "Hey, we want to use power of brain psychology to get kids to start smoking earlier or something," like I'm not into that. (laughs) Uh, No thanks. Right. (laughs) So that's an easy no. Um, But the... Um, also is... Um, I've created some products that w- the courses... Um, l- I'm going to be launching a, a, a small paid option for ongoing content in the community for small business. I think it's important to support small business. Um, but f- to find the right balance of my time and what what is responsible for them to invest. I don't do a lot of uh, one-off Work uh, with s- small businesses anymore, um, so a lot of that is being filtered over to the one-to-many types of stuff. I've created books, courses, and again, this um, upcoming addition to the community.
0: So, the, kind of the last question before I move on to the third thing today, which is your, your key tips, which you've uh, very kindly shared with me. Um, that that's something I've struggled with. I've written a book this year; it's come out in May, and I'm thinking, how do I? Get my brain into that part where I think of the freebies, uh, because people often say that's actually really important. In fact, in some respects, it's as important as the book. What gives people that feeling that they can take something from it, apply it, and get results? What did you do to actually figure out what freebies? To take from your book, and you have a second book coming up, which is coming out in forty four days. What do you What do you do to get through that process of Hey, this is a great thing I could convert into a lead magnet, some kind of thing that people will go, Yeah, this is great. Let's hire Melina.
1: Yeah. So, um, as I said, I am a huge giver of things, and I give away a lot more than what most people do, and I. I believe it's going to come back at some point. Yeah. Um. So for those solo episodes I was talking about, I have freebie worksheets for almost all of them. One-off worksheets that are there. So one pages. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. So so of the two hundred and twenty page uh, episodes of my podcast to date, mm-hmm. uh, probably a hundred and fifty of them have their own lead magnet specific uh. to that episode that you can go get and they all live in my Mighty Networks community where people can go get them right so right. um as far as coming up with the freebie um a lot of the incentive for that and doing them in one-offs is that i knew at some point i was going to be wanting to make other products and things whether it was a a calendar or coursework or something where you're doing something say 52 weeks out of the year. And the idea of sitting down and creating 52 worksheets is terrible. Uh, But being able to say, hey, I've already got this sampling to work from. I'm just having to edit it. I knew that was going to be easier when I was going to be ready. And having those lead magnets was going to be helping people along the way. So I have... A ridiculous amount of lead magnets compared to what most people have. Like I said, I have well over 100 of them. Um, but you just want to have something that is just enough to be able to show that you are providing value, that you have knowledge, uh, and this balance between getting a small win of something and not such a big win that they don't need to hire you for whatever the uh-huh. next step is. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to make sure it ties in together uh, for whatever it is that you're Selling,
0: right? Okay, that makes sense. And I ask that question in a selfish way because I'm struggling with that tiny bit. I've written a book, and I'm thinking, what do I actually do to carve out some lead magnets—things which people can then download and, and find useful? Anyway, that that's that's very helpful. Thank you, Melina. Um, so the third thing today is your your very kind tips, and I guess this is where we get to uh, delve into your expertise, uh, all about behavioral economics. And and I I've read Cialdini's work over the last couple of years. And I've, I think it's just brilliant. And I always recommend that to people. But I want to know about your stuff. Your first tip today is uh, the following. Even though we all have brains, we don't intuitively understand how they work. Can we explain that to listeners and do so in a way that uses, let's say, metaphors or examples of someone who is just like our self-employed, expert, uh, product-driven business
1: Sure. Well, I already talked a little bit about the elephant and the rider, so we got a little hint of that. I won't yep. revisit that specifically, uh, but to dial that in a little bit deeper, uh, think, think, you know, listener, reflect upon how many decisions you think you make in a day. You know, how many decisions did I make today or yesterday or whatever? Uh, maybe 25, a 100. 5,000, research actually shows that on average, we all make 35,000 decisions every single day. And that's remotely conscious decisions. So not like breathe in, breathe out, but real decisions. 35,000 decisions. Yes, every day, (laughs) every person, right? And so when we talk about brains being busy and lots going on and really realizing that the vast majority of that is being done by that subconscious elephant. And it likes to hold on to things because it's faster and it's an automatic processing. But for it to be able to do that, it really loves predictability, making decisions based on what's worked in the past, whether it perfectly applies to this situation or not. And therefore the status quo is something that we really like. It likes predictability of rewards. It likes predictability of getting things done quickly. So when we say it's hard to change, or why are people forgetting? They, they're they not going to do that right. This isn't going to work out that way. Why can't I remember to do this thing? It's because you haven't built it into one of those habits. So you can't change everything. We can't do all 35,000 things consciously because we actually can't eat, uh, consume enough calories <laughs> for our brains to be able to work in that way. But if you find the right stuff and look for ways to be changing your own behavior, as well as the way that um, you're working with other people and trying to motivate them to buy something to really focus on micro moments, micro decisions, and working with habits that already exist is going to help you to be much more effective. Instead of trying to force change, it's working against the brain and the elephant. It's not going to work out for you. Uh, So you want to find something that already motivates that elephant and help to bring it into focus
0: so what kind of thing would that be i mean let's say i'm i'm uh, talking to a new prospect for one of my programs what points of reference which are familiar uh, automatic easy would the elephant brain in their minds like
1: So, uh, you know, for one piece, um, anchoring. So we're, we're really influenced by numbers. Um, anchoring is more than just that, but this is something to keep in mind. Uh, and I work with small business particularly, but all types of companies a lot on pricing strategy. And it's something that everybody has a hard time with. Um, and when you are clearly not so confident in the price, uh, that's something that people can really tell. It's that like dog smelling fear situation, right? So if you say, well, I know I've got this thing and it's $5,000 I know that's a lot of money and so it may feel uncomfortable so I can reduce it if you need a discount and I'm, I'm willing to throw in extra stuff. You know, you're making them feel like it's bad and it's too expensive, even if they had the budget and they never even asked. So, you know, you may feel like everyone always asks me for a discount. There's not value here. The price is wrong. It's not necessarily the price. it's often not the price. it's the stuff you are doing before getting to the price is the problem. So in leveraging anchoring in the wrong wrong way, people tend to start at the bottom and work their way up, but we anchor on the first numbers that we hear. So if you say, hey, I've got a an option that's, you know, Fifty dollars a month as a as an intro option for people. I also have this fifteen hundred dollar a month package that's really great. And oh, I have this thing that's five thousand uh, dollars. You know, maybe you want to join that one. Like, wow, five thousand feels huge when we started at fifty or whatever I said <laughs> in there, right? It's a huge jump, and so. Most people aren't going to get that. You've sold them on this bottom thing. Uh, So you don't want whatever the thing you want people to buy to be the most expensive thing. You always need something above that for relativity and setting a high anchor. So if you want to sell the $5,000 package, come up with something that's more extreme than what most people would need, but something you'd be glad if they did. So like I do speaking engagements or, or fold like days with people and say, you know, it's, it's a, ten thousand dollars for me to be coming to you for this day and we can do that and that's fine if you want to do that day in italy (laughs) uh you know potentially and we're going to go for a week and do the thing that's a 25,000. So I would start with say, like, we have the $25,000 Italian experience on the coast of whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we also have 10,000 where I can just come to you, or we have that 5,000 as a virtual option if you want to try that, right? The 10,000 feels much more reasonable when we started at 25. Most people aren't going to pick that thing. It's beyond what they're going to want. If they do, I'm delighted. I would love to go to Italy again. That sounds great. Uh, but most people won't. And I'm selling the thing that I really want at that $10,000 price point.
0: So that is psychology, pure and simple. It's that yeah. um, contextualization, I guess, is the pricing. And I've seen this. And I think we've all seen this online. Um, you know, offers where you see a pricing, a product, you've got the, 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 the recommended one. The one on the left typically is the cheap one. The one on the right, very few take, but it just makes the one in the middle reasonable. Um, that's mm-hmm. great advice. Number two, how you present information matters more than what you're sharing. And this, I guess, ties into what we've just talked about, which is about uh, pricing products, change initiatives. Okay. Um, Your third one is be thoughtful. Um, And I just noticed when we were talking, you had something on your screen, your email signature, and you mentioned your community. Um, You say that thoughtfulness refers to how you put information out into the world. And um, it's all about asking questions as well. So perhaps let me ask you to explain that one better. Be thoughtful. What does that mean in the context of what we do as training business owners or experts.
1: For sure. Uh, like you said, I end every episode of my podcast with remember to be thoughtful. It's my email signature. It's the name of my community and B E in B is capitalized as a little nod to behavioral economics, which not yeah. everybody picks up on, but it shows some of my own thoughtfulness as well. And so in this case, be thoughtful is twofold. Uh, one being in the reciprocity piece, like I was already talking about giving first and giving really generously and knowing that all relationships all business are a long game and you never know what the little thing that you do today is going to be giving back to you 10 times over you know somewhere randomly down the line and so um one thing you can be doing for social media we all tend to go on social media and you know megaphone out. (laughs) And even when we see something else someone's doing, we don't comment or like all that often. Uh, So if you're the person who is actively commenting on people's posts, if you then take it a step further, you're sharing their content without asking for anything else. You know, you see, Hey, like Steve, that's a really interesting post. I'm going to share that to my community. People will notice you and remember that they're more likely to share and pay attention to your stuff. Even if they don't, you're still being nice. So let's be happy with that. That's part of being thoughtful on the one side. The other is in questioning your own decision-making and the choices that other people make. So thinking about, um, your own automatic processing and stopping sometimes to say, Hmm, I wonder why I did that. Why did I open this email? And why did that other one get sent to spam? Why did I, uh, Pick up this item off of the shelf instead of another one, and I wonder why they put it here on the shelf instead of somewhere else. You know, all those sorts of things to be able to say, how come, and how does that tie in with the emails I'm sending? You know, do my LinkedIn connections come off as really spammy, terrible pitches, <laughs> like a lot that I get? I'm sure you do too. Uh, or am I coming off as a genuinely kind and thoughtful? person you know why'd I open that would some would I open my own emails <laughs> something to to check into as well
0: that's a great question I have to actually ask myself that one would I open my own emails mm, I'm not <laughs> sure I would yeah um, it is it, it is actually really riveting and I think that for people listening running their own business uh, who are presenting themselves to the world as an expert you have to think about psychology why would someone hire you listen to you buy from you And people make decisions based upon uh, how they think and what they think. And uh, if we think that putting something together and sticking a price tag on it and saying, here's a product, I want $5,000, is enough. It it isn't enough. Um, And I've always said to people in sales, psychology is the basis of everything. Unless you understand how people's brains work, you can't really sell them things. You can't communicate value. You certainly can't deliver it. Um, It's a fascinating read. Um, I've seen the uh, look inside what about the next book you've come, you're coming up I want to ask you about that before we wrap up today Melina you've got a book in 44 days that's uh, not far from now I know uh, what's that call exciting. what's it about
1: Yeah, so the new book is What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You Adapting to Change with the Science of Behavioral Economics. So, the first being about customers, marketing, branding, and messaging. Uh, This book is about helping to lead others through change and make it so other people will be naturally better at change. And it's in, as we've already been talking about here, the way you present information makes a difference. If you come in and say, Hey, don't shoot the messenger, I know you're not going to like this, but we have to. Move across the way, or we have to report to someone else, and I just need everyone to get on board. Whatever it is you're pitching, people have now been primed to think this is terrible and they're going to be rebelling against it all the way. Whereas if you present that information differently, perhaps by saying, Hey, you know, I've heard everyone here talk about how, you know, the system we have already is cumbersome and slow and too many clicks and difficult to use. We've heard you and we've worked on this new system that management team is putting together. We have a month to provide feedback for anyone who wants to be on the team. You know, Let me know if you're interested so you can help shape the future of what the team's going to be using. It's a very different situation in the way people feel about that opportunity, even if we're talking about exactly the same thing. So again, reducing cognitive load for people so we're not too stretched in with deadlines. Understanding changes in micro moments, not just huge things and that how we present information matters. And as with the first book, very applicable and giving you concrete things you can do, including lots of little micro shift moments, as I call them in the book, Mm. uh, to be able to implement all along the way.
0: And that's available for sale in all good bookshops online and offline.
1: Yes, absolutely. 44 days. Well, it's already on pre-sale, so you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, all the things. And it'll be in your inbox uh, or mailbox, whatever, uh, on October 11th.
0: And you have a launch team in place for that then as well, I'm sure.
1: Yes. Yeah. Working on actually, I don't know when this airs, but I'm uh, looking for some early readers to be able to help with that if anyone was interested.
0: Okay. You heard it there. (laughs) Okay. You heard it there from Melina. Melina, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Where can people find out more about you?
1: Uh, the best would be to go to thebrainybusiness.com. You can find the podcast and books and about consulting and speaking and everything there. And you can find me on all the socials as the thebrainybiz, B-I-Z.
0: My thanks to Melina for being my guest today on the show. And thank you, Melina, for sharing all those wonderful tips. And thanks to you for listening to this week's episode of the Training Business Podcast. If you have a question or maybe you've got a suggestion, then please email me, mark at trainingbusiness.com. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, and I always appreciate your listenership, your loyalty, and of course your time again today. Please click on the follow button or the subscribe button to be notified of episodes as they come out. It costs nothing, takes a couple of seconds. There is a fresh episode. And you'll find all episodes past, present, and future over at trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, keep selling, keep training. Bye for now.
1: Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.